Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Catch-Up. This week, we are joined by Scott Afters. He is the young co-founder of Afters Ice Cream, known for their milky bun, this delicious warm donut stuffed with ice cream. These guys are blowing up in Southern California. They do over $10 million in revenue a year. They have hundreds of thousands of fans on social media. So we invited Scott by to hear more about how he started the company. And so uh, we know a lot of you guys are asking for more founder stories and hearing how the amazing food that we eat and we talk about on Food Beast kind of gets to the table. And so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Scott's a lot of fun to listen to. And uh, let's roll it. Welcome to the catch up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Aruth, editor in chief. And Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. Alright, and welcome to the catch-up. Alright guys, welcome to the catch-up. Today we are joined, we have a very special guest. We got Scott Afters, and we're also joined by Reach, Mr. Hello, hello. Tito Reach from Food Beast. What's up, um, Scott, welcome to the podcast, man. Oh, happy to be here, man, finally. I've been waiting to get on here, dude. I thought I thought this was a show about ketchup, and then you guys told me, hey, we're going to talk about business. So I was like, okay, I guess so. A little history on Scott. Uh, he co-founded Afters Ice Cream. Uh, they're now a almost 25 location place. Yeah, with 26. 26, excuse yeah. me, yeah. they opened one this morning. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> it's the beginning of the podcast. You're going to disrespect the band right now with the 25 <laughs> location? Yeah, you guys didn't do no research. <laughs> hey, Trev. All my research like came this morning. Like, it's homework. I was like texting Scott this morning, give me more facts. <laughs> they're doing over $10 million in revenue a year. Insane. After his ice cream's Instagram account, over 300,000 followers cracking. Yeah. Scott on his personal Instagram account over 150,000 followers. Man, you guys are crazy right now. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy roller coaster. You know what I mean? The last I think I I met you like five years ago. We kind of went after was kind of building up. Actually, Food Beast was actually one of the the first media to get on after his ice cream and try to you know blast it because you guys knew it was going to be hot and new and and here we are today, dude. It's just, now I can't believe it. Actually, man, we're gonna we're gonna get into a Scott. So uh, last name Afters. That's a that's a weird yeah. Vietnamese last yeah, yeah. name. <laughs> I, you know what? I always get people asking me like, you know, is that really your last name? And I'm thinking to myself like, first off, like, what Asian person's name Afters? <laughs> what am I like German or Swedish or like what it is? But actually, Afters actually came from the word dessert. Like they just use it as dessert in Europe. So oh, kind of just stuck one at one together. Easy recognition sounds cool. That was the early concept. What I remember when you and your other co-founder, one of your other yeah. co-founders, Andy, were yeah. telling me about the concept was it started off as your goal one, you wanted to do a late night after hours dessert spot. Yeah. I thought the idea was dumb. 
I'll be honest <laughs> with you. Like Andy was like, cover it, whatever. Yeah. But I was like, you guys are opening up an ice cream spot at a yeah. time where people are thinking about their health. Yeah. Froyo was kind of popping still. Yeah. Yo, Froyo was popping. Yeah, Froyo yeah. was hot yeah. still. Yeah. It was hot. I mean, Yogurtland yeah. was like also Red cranky. Mango was still a thing. Yeah. yeah. Pinkberry still a thing. Yeah. Yogurtland was going crazy on locations right yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I mean, so we're going to get into the big, big after story. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I, I kind of want to go back to the beginning because yeah. there's got to be some interesting shit that you did as a kid that led you to this moment. It is, dude. This, this stems like not just from rafters, but like the do- the longest I can remember is like, you know, being in sixth, fifth grade and like selling licorice to the kids for a quarter each because I couldn't read as good as everybody else. You know what I mean? It just <laughs> felt it inside me that this was, this was, was going to be my avenue. This was going to be my mainstream way of making money. And it just kind of evolved from there. You know what I mean? I mean, did, what did your parents do? Like, what? where did you get this instinct to start just sell shit? Uh, my parents, so they uh, they came over to America, and I was born here, um, and they were just, like, you know, just trying to grind it out, make any, any, any men's meat. They, you know, cut grass. They fucking sew. They just did, like, whatever it took to, for us to, get, you know, put food on the table. And we all, like, five of us shared, like, just a single bedroom, shared in a home, on you know like one bed and we just i don't know they just i just saw their drive but they didn't have a lot of time for family but they just showed us that you know that there's a lot of core worth ethics they you didn't know how to be school smart you had to be street smart and they didn't teach me that directly but i guess i guess i just kind of just absorbed it from them from the time being you know because I mean? they weren't like telling you not to go to school obviously no they typical asians you know what i mean like dude go to school become doctor become lawyer and the worst part is that I had so many cousins that they compared me to that I was just like the, the bottom of the barrel and the guy that couldn't read, the guy that was like not the tallest one, not the best looking one at the time. And it was just like rough growing up the whole spiel. And I just had to like kind of battle it through, you know what I mean? So you were was, considered the black sheep? I'm a middle child too, so that should help. <laughs> you know, in Orioles it's good, but in real life it's not that great. I mean, so that kind of put like a chip on your shoulder in terms of like, any type of goal setting or what you're getting into right yeah dude like it just because when you're so young you don't know what you're doing out there like you're just you're just following kind of like what your parents are telling you and your parents tell you go to school so you try it but you can't read and you suck at math for some reason all the other asian kids are great at math and you're like what the heck is going on with me you know what i mean and then you kind of just get caught up then you're like okay i don't want to i don't want to do this school thing so much so let me start hanging out with all these other kids that don't like school and then you just kind of go down a badder, a worse path, a badder path. Yeah. <laughs> you still can't read, bro? Yeah, and then, Damn, I had uh, to get checks cut by you. Yeah. <laughs> Misspell my name. And then, um, you know, and then you just end up, I there was a big breaking point when I kind of turned 18. I, I figured that, you know, if I'm going to get arrested at this point, I'm probably going to go to jail because before you just don't go to jail, really. You know, you're just a minor. And then that kind of, set me into a different path like yeah, i gotta fix a lot of things right now you had that realization at <laughs> yeah, 18. <laughs> like, that you could go to jail most people don't think about i don't think about that but so you were yeah. going down you felt like a weird path because you're selling shit but you're not good at school how do you feel about that do you feel like dumb or do you feel because kids don't have that drive necessarily yeah you know what i even nowadays i think like it's even easier for the younger generation to succeed because they got all these resources, the internet, all this good stuff now that you can learn anything, do anything kind of thing. But when I was, you know, growing up, I mean, half my childhood, I didn't even have the internet, you know what I mean? So the other half, we had dial-up, which is like, 
you know, like for the older guests out there, uh, <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking meow, about. Meow, meow, meow. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it was definitely different, you know what I mean? So you, you didn't really have any path. And at that time that I was growing up, there wasn't really a lot of young entrepreneurs, you know what I mean? Like nobody would take me seriously if I wanted to do anything. So by the time I hit like a real, my real first business in like 17 years old, like I was doing uh, manufacturing overseas. There was no like Alibaba. There was no like easy internet, like gateway. I had to like use like a weird ass translator to talk to people in China and stuff like that. It was just different, you know what I mean? And I guess that that was a lot of um, stones that I kind of started with that helped me develop who I am today. It was just, it was crazy. Manufacturer, so like what were you manufacturing? And how so I was really heavy into the car scene when I became like 15, 16. So that actually ended up being one of my real first businesses. Like I went up to like uh, Fresno and bought like a CRX, like, you know, for the imported guys out there. And then I brought it back, I fixed it up and then I drove it around and I was like, oh, I'm kind of tired of this, I'll just sell it. And then when I looked at the market value compared to Fresno to here, it was it was totally different. It was like a thousand bucks over market of what I bought it for and I just sold it and I, I made a thousand bucks and I was just like, you know, a 16 year old kid and I was, it was a lot of money. And I was like, shit, I could do this again. So then I just kind of scoured the fucking internet for more cars to buy. And I just kept on doing that over and over. And like at, like within like six months, I was making like a thousand dollars a week, like just nonstop. And my parents were like, dude, why is there so many cars at our house? Like our neighbors are, our neighbors is like leaving us letters in the car. Like, uh, why do you have so many cars here? And I was just like, I don't know, dude. Like, just, just like, I'm a kid, like, what are you asking me? You know what I mean? And then it just evolved from there. And then I just got that 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 drive to like, dude, I need to make money. Like, obviously I'm not doing too well in school right now. You know, I'm like a CD kid, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm talking about the letter C <laughs> D grades. <laughs> compact disc. Yeah, I'm not a compact disc. And it just it just evolved from there, dude. I just kept on going then. So you manufactured you were finding these cars, you were flipping them. Oh yeah, then I got to the manufacturing because I was like I was buying parts for my car and then I was like, dude, why am I buying this? I could just make them, you know. I was making parts that people wanted that was really rare to get. So I just, I mean, ironically, I made it like a knockoff version. <laughs> so, and then um, I just redesigned it a little bit and then put it out there and people just ate it up alive. And that's when forums and stuff were really developing. And I just got on that and it just moved. And that's actually evolved into my first business sale. I actually sold that business. It was my first business at um, 18. I actually sold that business to a bigger company in the local area that bought it from me and my manufacturing jig and everything like that. And that's the first time I made, you know, couple hundred grand and I was like blown away. That's that, insane, I didn't yeah, know that. At so 18. How do you sell, I think people are gonna hear this and yeah. be like, damn, how do you sell that company? Like, did they come to you because you were doing so much noise? Um, so I got a really big, strong name on the forums and things like that and everybody was selling on forums at the time. So they reached out to me and they're all like, hey, I'm interested. I wanna buy this product in mass volume. And I was like, dude, you're buying so much. Like, you just wanna buy the whole thing for me? Cause I saw what was gonna happen next. Like these big players were coming in already and uh, we negotiated a deal. And we went through ESCO and bam, and the history was done right there. Wow. So you were using the internet mad early. I mean, yeah, forums to sell so shit. so much that my my girlfriend, she was like, dude, man, like when I was sitting there on the internet 24 seven, like just working so hard, she'd be like, why are you always on the computer? Like, what are you doing on that thing? You know, because it hasn't evolved to what it is now. Like it wasn't YouTube, like to sit there for hours and hours because your dial-up sucked, you know what I mean? So was, she was just always wondering and I just have to, you know, sometimes I was just really like, hey, I need to make money. like. I'm obviously not the genius in school. I'm not going to get a degree in a career. So she kind of, she understood real well and it just kept on moving from there. So what did you do with that money? 
So you, now you're a couple uh, hundred racks deeper now? Yeah. So at that time, I invested in, um, let me see, a lot of website stuff. I learned how to do like web programming, developing, creating websites, doing a lot of graphic design. I was just like learning all these trades for, that could help me in the future because I always needed somebody to do this for me. I and at that time, it was really, there was no like freelancer websites at the time. So I had to really develop those skills. I used a lot of money to buy new like computers. And ironically, even though I was on this path, my parents, I moved out already. We're, I'm living with my girlfriend in like a shared single bedroom twin bed and, we're, and we moved out already. So I'm spending my money on living, you know what I mean? And I still decided to go to college. <laughs> I still decided to go to college because part of me saw that my parents took, got true happiness from me going to college. So I felt like, you know, fuck it, I'm gonna try. I can do, I try to do both, you know what I mean? So the first year I went to college, I literally just took one class. <laughs> <laughs> just to tell them yeah. you were going? And I didn't understand like how much of a waste of time that was. And then at that time, my girlfriend's sister was telling me, hey, you should, what's, what's up with your boyfriend, dude? Like, he's kind of like does nothing all day. Like he needs to get a job. So then I had like this weird twist in my life where I was like, okay, um, I guess I should just get a normal job just to prove like, you know, I can get a job. So I got a job at the mall. <laughs> <laughs> Doing what? I worked at the Gap. <laughs> After you sold something for a couple hundred Yeah, thousand? I got a job at the Gap. And then, I, this is not my first job. My first job was actually working at the fair. <laughs> the LC fair? Yes, the LC fair. I made license plates, frames for anybody that anybody that wanted, you know, you know, golfer now, you know, you know like, you know, I'd rather be, you know, snowboarding. So I made those and that was my real first job. And then this gap one was like my real first real real job, like corporate style. Your first tight job. Oh, yeah. you work corporate or you you literally you worked no, at the I mall. Worked retail, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean like corporate owned company, <laughs> yeah, like oh, not gotcha. just like some dude carrying a booth, you know what I mean? And then um yeah, I worked there and I was good at sales, man. It's just, I think, I think it came from the cars, you know what I mean? Selling the cars. So it kind of took those traits and kept on moving along any kind of industry I did. So I killed that sales, man. People loved it. And I just started, moved up the ranks to cashier. <laughs> 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 so I became the cashier. And then at some point I was like, damn, dude, what am I doing with my life? I'm in school and <laughs> I have a job at the Gap. And then at some point I was just like, this is not for me, man. So. I stopped coming, I didn't stop coming to work. I just started calling in sick more. And then I kept on calling in sick to the point where I had like one, two hour shift in a week. And everybody else in the staff was like dying for hours. And they would love me because I would just give them my hours like all over the place. And then, and then I was working there for like a year and then they, they, all, they sat me down. They wanted to give me a raise. And I was like, finally, dude. And then they sat me down and they were like, okay, we're gonna give you a raise. And you did a good job, da, 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 da. Uh, here's 24 cents raise at the time it was like seven dollars and i was like dude what the f like this that was a complete waste of time for 24 cents i worked that hard and i'm good like i'm top of sales and all that good stuff and i was like okay dude and then i just like really like went like so like absent on my shifts that they're like hey dude i think we're gonna let you go right now because you don't even work anymore and then that kind of just ended my my mall career Dang. Right there well and then what <clears throat> How did you enter into the fashion world? Because when Eli uh, came into our old office in yeah. Costa Mesa and was talking about you and afters and yeah. various things, yeah. the, the introduction of Scott before I met you yeah. was this guy doing crazy things yeah. in the fashion world. Yeah. And it was, and it's crazy for us to see, for Eli and I, 
uh, to witness a bunch of people going from the fashion world into the food world yeah. and the and the circles reconnecting from yeah. something where we might have been passionate about on a personal level, but from an industry level, we right, weren't right. connected. Yeah. And then they get connected now with Food Beast because they're doing something crazy on the food yeah. food realm. Yeah. Um, the fashion world was it was really just about like you know all my friends were doing fashion brands and I was like yeah I guess so too you know what I mean like just me too kind of thing so then instead of going like the clothing apparel route I went the footwear route and then um, I did it for like three or four years did well you know a lot of high piece features it got it it's still into it's still in Nordstrom still this day um, what's the brand it's called TCG now footwear it originally was called Thoroughcraft. We ended up getting like almost sued by Thorough Goods, like a fifty-year-old company. But <laughs> so that's had, why you wanted not yeah, talk we about changed, it. Anyway. Yeah, we just, uh, but we settled and we changed the name and um, ended up selling it after like year five to some really cool guys, and they're still continuing it on to this day. So that was another exit. That was kind of like a build-up from the ground up, uh, manufactured and designed um, in-house, and it was it was a cool experience. You know what I mean? Uh, different, different, but it, it taught me more about production, taught me more about like sales, and it taught me more about like working a different type of business, you know what I mean? So every kind of thing that I've always done has taught me a bunch of characteristics that I've always taken along with the next ride. Did you do it though because it was fun or did you do it because you just thought it was a good business model? Because a lot I, of people in fashion don't didn't do it because it was a good business model. Yeah, you know, it, it, it did... I think maybe coming from the gap, it kind of developed my mind into the fashion world and be like, uh, I, I like, kind of like the fashion now, you know what I mean? Like, so it was really relevant to how my life was at the time. You know, I'm really into clothes. So then let me just jump into this industry. So then I learned a lot about trade shows and stuff like that. And um, it was like a lot of my businesses and future businesses always end up being about like, you know, half hobby, half how can I make money on it now in my mind, essentially, you know? And if I can't make money on it, then it just stays a hobby. But getting into fashion, like, there's that element now that you have to learn in, in terms of marketing, right? Oh, yeah. Like, so when I started uh, my footwear line, Instagram was barely off, you know, off the launch pad. So it was like a completely different world. Um, you had to do more trade shows. You had to do more magazine stuff. Now you can build brands like straight from Instagram. It's crazy. Like, um, I would... I mean, nowadays, I would recommend you can go to fashion industry easy because you can start out with something. And people like it. Cool. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the after ice cream and the, and the apparel that we have behind us. You know, what I mean, it's like that came that's just something I thought about that I could mash up two industries together because using the history in the past um, and knowing that, you know, these consumers want a lifestyle brand now then we can offer more than what other people can offer because other ice cream guys cannot do this guaranteed. You know, and now, you know, we started only. Um, beginning of this year, like January, February, we're on track to do like over a mill already in just in apparel. Merch. In, merch. in apparel. In merch alone. That's, I mean, you know? that's incredible. Yeah, so, so it's just get, like unlocking, you know, unlocking like potential for for brands and unlocking like, you have to be able to see the value of how you can do that. You know what I mean? It's got to be like witty. It's got to be like, like lifestyle oriented, essentially. I mean, so how old, how old are you at the point Let's get to afters. Yeah. So how, how, how old are you when you and Andy decide we're going to open up an ice cream store? <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty ironic story. Like three years prior to afters actually opening, me and Andy, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're friends, but we weren't really hanging out or talking or anything like that. So three years prior to that, um, I saw there was a wave coming in the food industry. And I saw people using Yelp like ridiculously. And it made me think, like, dude, what is going on? Like, you know I mean, especially the Asian culture, they're, they're very into like 
food blogging, I guess, because they don't want to write full blogs. Because at the time, the, you know, there was tons of full blogs and people were micro blogging on Yelp. And I was like, okay, this might be the next wave of happening. Something's happening. So I researched it. I was like, okay, if I open a food place, what would I open? And I'm like a, like a straight up like sweet tooth dude. Like every time after every meal, I would have to have dessert. Like you can ask everybody. Like I was always have ice cream, like Rite Aid ice cream or a sundae or something like that. So that kind of started mashing together in my mind of like, hey, I need to figure out which industry I need to go into the food industry. So I looked at Yelp and I noticed that dessert was always the highest rated kind of things. And then with, with that, I was like, shit, I need to go to the dessert industry. And then I just chose, you know, dessert industry, living in Orange County, even for myself, this all came from like one time when me and a group of buddies were sitting at Boiling Crab and we finished eating, we went out, it was nine 9.30. And I'm like, dude, I need to get dessert because that, you know, that taste in your mouth is like, whoa, like, I need to get this like out of here. Taste, dude. Yeah, I need to get this out of here. And for people who don't know, Boiling Crab is this Asian Cajun, Garlic. It's the best. It's dude. awesome. So but you smell it in your fingernails yeah. for two days after. Oh. Like you don't yeah, want to kiss it. your significant yeah, other. You it's it. it's you, you got a shower it. after yeah. before you could go out. Yeah. So we were all standing outside and then we're like, let's get dessert. I'm like, cool. Well, where do we go now? Like there's nowhere open in Orange County. So in my head I'm just like connecting like these two little three little dots together. And then I was like, dude, like I don't want to go to another restaurant to hang out and eat, you know what I mean? Again, that's like awkward. So I just want to go somewhere quick, cool, kind of loungy and just kind of, you know, eat, eat ice cream with your friends and then hang out a little more and then go home, loiter, obviously. And then then, uh, just, you know, all these pieces went together. And then probably like, so that was three years ago, two years, two years later then, I was sitting there thinking like, shit, I haven't done anything about this ice cream thing. You know, but it keeps on reminding me like every time I run into these circumstances. And then, so I started telling people like, hey dude, at the time I was doing the fashion, you know, yeah. the shoes, I was telling some of my, you know, art uh, graphics guys, I was like, hey, I'm gonna open a dessert place. They're like, wait, why? Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, this is not your industry. And then I tell like my parents and I tell my like my girlfriend at the time and she, they're all like, ice cream are you sure like that's gonna make you money like how how's this gonna happen you know what i mean so there's plenty of like doubt at the time because nobody's ever done it yet and then one year after that i finally decided like you know it's time to do it and it's because i will say that this is like a wave of like i saw like almost at its peak because cronut came out Mm. and when cronut came out i was like dude this is the time i have to do it now and then i just went to go search for leases and Not then, knowing what you were just like, maybe ice cream. You saw the cronut. You're like, dude, if if one more thing comes out, I'm gonna fucking yeah. I just had to come it. up something with the cronut was very pioneering for sure, you know. And then Absolutely. obviously the food trucks were very pioneering, you know, the Koji truck. And then when I just saw that wave, but it was just like different. I just knew that this is the time for if I'm gonna do dessert, it has to be right now. And then so I just started from looking for leases, and I just started immediately because there's a big difference between people that think about stuff and people that actually do stuff and there's millions of people that think about stuff all day long but actually to execute things is a whole nother level you know what i mean executing is like probably higher up than even having a good idea because at some point when you have good ideas and you try to hide it from everybody like as when you're actually successful and it actually takes off you want everybody to know about your idea right so the really good people actually want to put out the idea and get it out there and then so when i was actually found a lease and then that's when you know Andy comes in. I was going to the gym at the time because at that time I was like, hey, dude, we've been friends for a long time. Let's hang out again. And then we started hanging out a little bit. And then when I actually got the lease uh, discussion for 
um, the first location I'm after is I asked Andy, hey, dude, like, I know I've been talking to you for like, like a year about this, you know, I'm like, I felt like wrong if I didn't ask him like, hey, you want to, you want to come aboard? Because he's, you know, he's always like, you know, we always chit chat about it. So I felt like really weird if I didn't all of a sudden, hey, dude, I'm, I'm out later. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm opening this place up. So I just felt like, you know, I'd, um, you want to, you know, want to hop aboard? You know, I didn't mind. Really, you didn't want to find another gym. Is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> like, we were going to the same gym. So that is a really interesting time in food, though. I yeah. think it's like for our generation. Like I feel like over the past decade, yeah. that the food trucks, the cronut, yeah, the Milky Bun. I think right before the Milky Bun was the ramen burger. Yeah. And why it's so important was I kind of correlate food beast growth with a lot of those items yep. as well because food was becoming news yep. in that moment mm -hmm. that like five like five six years ago food mm -hmm. was becoming news people were talking about individual items yeah. at this point coming from small up-and-coming shops like people yeah. would talk about carl's jr's new superstar but mm -hmm. that's because there was a commercial on not because nationwide as a nation they can talk about a singular item yeah and at that point no media was talking about individual items like yeah. that, which yeah. was cool. It was cool for us to cover the Milky Bun in that capacity because mm -hmm. then for the first time, Yahoo is picking up stories off of Food Beast. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, Yahoo now has a food section because mm -hmm. they need a place to talk about the ramen burger yeah. and the Milky Bun. So I think that was a very special moment for afters, I feel. Yeah, no, I there's... So when I look back and I kind of reanalyze uh, like with the situation, because everybody asked me like, how the hell did it happen? Like all this, I, there is like a lot of timing, for sure, a lot of luck, and a, a big factor that I see that that happened was that you know, like you said, like the news was actually wanting to report on the cronut, and what happened right after the cronut wave was that the media was hungry for food news because they did not want to miss another wave because what ended up happening was like you know the blogosphere ended up reporting about the cronut before even the news channels and it was a big phenomenon so that all these news channels now were just sitting there waiting for the next big thing and then all of a sudden it was afters ice cream and the milky bun and then you guys reported on it and then like we had ktla yahoo like everybody jumped on because they did not want to be last this time and then that was like the perfect kind of hit to it and that's why we were on so many channels of of media at that time when we opened up and it was crazy that, that way was so crazy to me because one we were part like food beast was a part of the catalyst but on top of that it didn't just exist in the blogosphere yeah. there was this uh convergence of all media forms at that time like yeah. as digital was rising but traditional was still really powerful yeah. so tv radio was still powerful yeah. And all mediums were talking about the Milky Bun, right? Yeah, I remember hearing sorts. it on K-Rock. I remember you guys going up to the Pop Sugar studio. I remember you guys doing broadcast. Yeah. And I was like, this wave is crazy. Because we were stoked on the traffic we were yeah. getting and things like that. But then it was like, TV's impacting, radio's impacting, magazines are impacting. Yeah. We're all and, talking about food. Yeah. It was the first moment where we write an article on foodbeast.com. My mom never reads our site, yeah. right? But at the same time, KTLA is sourcing a Food Beast Story. article yeah. about this ice cream stuffed donut. Yeah. And like at that moment, I was like, food is on. Yeah. 
it wasn't a food beast thing. It wasn't an afters thing. I was like, food is fucking tight right yeah, now. Yeah, it's, it's super, super trending. And that was, like I said, like, a lot of timing. It was like the perfect mashup of like where digital media and traditional media was still up. Like they were both at almost even levels. Mm-hmm. And obviously digital is growing much bigger now. But at that point, it was just it was just like a beautiful collaboration of everything happening together. And that's kind of skyrocketed afters. Aside from, you know, like a lot of individual uniqueness that afters brought to the table. I think what was cool about that also during that time is how you guys were able to harness and use hype as a commodity. In, in, yeah, that. you know, it was, it was like I said, it was just a, such a new storm to ever happen to anybody. You know, ice cream has been dead in the industry for a long time. It was all yogurt at that time. And for us to utilize, you know, the potential of social media at that time and, and uprise and bring it to mainstream where people saw, you know what, number one, this is run by young people obviously two is like you know ice cream is back all of a sudden because it's hip it's trendy it's cool and people needed something to instagram for some reason you know the instagram was just on its way up too yeah so it's just kind of like like you said like so many things that just kind of lined when well. you say ice cream was dead let's talk about you're going to the gym across the street from the rundown shopping yeah. center it's like a strip mall in Fountain Valley, California. That's not even a blip for Orange Countyans to no. like think of Fountain Valley yeah. as anything other than just Fountain Valley, kind of close to Huntington Beach. Yeah. So for everyone not from OC, it's not it's not that spot yet. Yeah, it's not a spot. And so you're talking about dead. You tell us about your partners. Talk us about getting that first <laughs> lease for afters because I think that is yeah. the most pivotal thing that you. It is saying. so. Before the whole gym discussion with Andy and all that good stuff, I went to that lease, you know what I mean? Because for me, when I say I'm gonna do something, I started doing that shit. And then I went there, the agent told me on the phone, hey, we got this ice cream shop, it's really old. <laughs> I think he's about to leave. And I was like, okay, oh, cool, that's perfect. That's exactly what I need. And that's my hometown, like this Garden Grove, Fountain Valley, Westminster area. And then I go there to meet the guy with the agent and we're there, we're waiting for the owner to come. He doesn't come straight up. Like he doesn't come for like 40 minutes and then he, by the time he finally comes, the agent's got to bounce. The agent's like, oh, I got to leave, dude. Like, and then the owner, his name is John. John at that time was like, okay, I can show you the place. So he shows it to me and chop it up with him a little bit. I was like, I tried your ice cream before. It's pretty good. He was a really, really nice guy. He started showing me like more ice cream. And, and you know, he was just like a really welcoming guy. He showed me like his setup, how he went to ice cream university and stuff like that. I was like, that's a real thing. He's like, yeah. <laughs> And then they opened, so him and his brother opened that place as a tribute to their grandma, but also because they had leftover space because they owned the pickup sticks at one time next door. This is a really <laughs> weird scenario, right? Anyway, so going down, I was talking to him. I was like, hey, dude, like, what are you going to do now that you're leaving this place? Because I want it. I want it. And then he's like, oh, I'm probably going to retire. And I, you know, he's like 60-something at that time. Yeah, what's he look like? He was, you know, he's a mix between McDonald's. KFC, you know, like no, just, he's like a Santa Claus slash KFC look. You know what I mean? Really authentic. <laughs> you can trustworthy, obviously, because you know he has that American, true American look. That's gonna become an important thing. It's a, That's a joke, a but very it's important also very important later. in yeah. his growth. Um, so I chop it up with him, and I'm like, "Hey, what are you? Where are you going?" He's like, "I'm retiring. I don't want to do this no more." And he's gonna open up a little tiny shop, like commercial shop to sell wholesale. I was like, oh, "Okay." Um, so I don't, I'm not, I'm not from the food industry. I don't know nothing about food industry. I was like, Hey dude, you want to stick around and make ice cream for me then? And he's like, mm, I don't know, dude. Like, I'm, you know, I don't really want to do this anymore kind of thing. And 
uh, obviously he wants to retire and that kind of stuff. And I just chopped it up with him. I told him about the concept, what I was looking to do, what I was, my whole vision. And he's like, okay, cool. Like we'll talk tomorrow about the paperwork for the lease. He calls me tomorrow, the next day. And then he's like, hey man, I told my wife about the, the ice cream concept you're doing. And she said, you're stupid. Don't even think about doing it with these kids. You know what I mean? And then, but his wife is really nice, obviously. But <laughs> just to him, because they want to retire, obviously. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he comes up to me and he goes, you know what? Uh, my wife told me I shouldn't do this, but I want to join you. And I'm like, what? Like, and I was like, why? Like, after your wife said, like, don't do it. And he's like, um, something you said just it made me fall in love with, you know, what you're saying and what you're doing. And even you, you know, you're, you're, you're really ambitious about it and, and charismatic. Like, it's just like, it was just, it just you said some driving in you. And I was like, oh, that's cool, man. Like, thanks. You know what I mean? And then we ended up working out a deal where he made all the ice cream, manufactured it. And, you know, on the front side, you know, I do all the marketing and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Because did you need money? I mean, because you, you, ha you have money. The thing was that, yeah, I had money at the time. The concept was already existing. You know what I mean? It was really, it used to be called Lola's Deli and Ice Cream. And I just saw that there was a potential to for a quick flip. Because for me, like when I create businesses, I always go after the lowest loss factor. Meaning like if we were to fail, this is only how much I would lose. You know what I mean? And at that point when I like, everything's almost semi-built out already. I was like, I don't, I don't need to worry about anything. You know what I mean? This is already semi-built. So money wasn't really not a concern. It was more strategic partnership because no matter what I needed John for sure, because he makes ice cream mm -hmm. and I already knew that. And then the rest of the assembly was just, you know, people, you know, that could come on board that could bring something helpful to the team. Um, and the way we worked out was that we all assembled together and then we put in a small amount of money, 12 grand to remodel the place. And we took out all the chairs, we repainted, we painted all the brown, you know, white and black. And I really wanted to go after like a really different theme. And this is where all the design stuff goes. I, before, ironically, before Afters Ice Cream, I used to do a lot of house flipping. And this is like a whole other story. It's like, I saw that, remember I was telling you that like you'd bring the skill trait with you. So I saw that, you know, buying a car, and selling a car, I would just fix it up, make it pretty and sell it. And then when I saw the, this is a, it's totally off track, real estate industry, I saw people buying homes and flipping them, like, you know, all those TV shows that came out and I was yeah. like, dude, I could do that. Like, you know, I got some sort of sense of design. So I, you know, I bought homes, I sold them and I flipped them well and I fixed them up to what people wanted currently. Cause at that time it was like really like spa looking, everything was spa looking and I was like more modern. So I just changed up the color scheme, put in the right materials and people ate it up alive, dude. Like the market crashed and I started buying in because in my logic, in my head, I knew there was always safe people. As safe people, I mean like people that were saving. They were not losing their homes. They were not blowing all their money. They had saved up and they, they wanted to buy. So that was my audience, even though people were like, no, nobody's gonna buy right now. But I just wished away them. And then that first year, dude, I did like 30 homes. Like it was like, I thought I was gonna be in the real estate industry forever. So, because it was so fast, it was easy money at that time for me. And obviously the market rebuilt itself up. I did like, you know, 30 and I did like, whatever, 25 the next year. I did it for a good five years. I was making millions at that time now. Jeez. And, and I saw the industry rebuild itself and there was just no more market for me to flip. Mm. But you know, I kept up a lot of rentals. I learned a lot for sure about real estate industry. And I always thought that I'd come back to the real estate re uh, industry sooner or later. Um, but that was like a very pivotal point in my life too. And then that was intermixed with somewhere between the fashion and these other businesses that I have. So you saw that first 
location of afters ice cream in that strip mall almost yeah. like a flip so like you were, you were yes. thinking of it like all right dude this isn't gonna cost me much to just rip it's not a big place too no. how many square like it's like less? 400 square feet yeah it's tiny tiny so like taking chairs out like you don't want people sitting there anyway no. like there's chairs outside yes so you gutted the place mm -hmm. you have your dream team yep right so it's 12 grand later it got remixed up and it was funny that we had a conversation with john i was like hey we're gonna take out all the seats he's like wait what like that doesn't make any sense but i was telling you you know the whole point, purpose of you know the younger generation was like we like to loiter and we somehow end up loitering in the parking lot for like three hours you know we're just standing there chit chatting it up so that's why in my mind i was like we don't need seating right now it's not it's not purposeful and then that's why the patio seating was cool but it was more of like a grab and go and and the concept started building itself when you actually start thinking more about it like the psychology about it and the whole purpose of remodeling it to something new and young because that was my style at the time was like like this is the look that a boutique would have and really wanted a ice cream boutique look and not something like completely untraditional if you guys don't know like afters ice cream is like a lot of black and white and most at that time most ice cream places were like pink baby blue you know like really really colorful so it just gave you that new that edgy feel that you're like oh this is like a different kind of ice cream place you know what i mean so you weren't wor i mean were you worried you have your partners yeah you were about to open up how long before signing the lease and working out agreements with your partners it was like uh, you guys open six six seven months you know what i mean uh it took six or seven months to remodel get all the paperwork in line and then sometime in february coming up i think we started discussing like november october something like that and february came up and we were pretty much getting ready to open up you know what i mean aside from like we just knew that we were going doing ice cream at that time the milky bun didn't even exist yet the oh when did that come in the milky bun started existing when i was really trying to think of something that would make people want it more than just ice cream because when i saw the standard i wanted i always wanted to be above the standard and the standard was just ice cream and then the standard plus was standard with uh cookies or brownies you know like some sort of yeah ice like cream, a diddy yeah. reese yeah like, like diddy like reese. That, yeah yeah and then you know doing research you see like diddy reason out there and then at that point i was like dude we need to come up with something next level and then when looking for like other ice cream sandwich alternatives i literally was driving obviously in this neighborhood i i saw winchell's and i was like that's it <laughs> I literally was sitting at the, I was sitting at the corner light, and I was about to turn to afters, and I was like, "There's a Winchell's right here. Let me just stop by real quick." I needed something that was easy to make, that was low cost, because you know that could really change the price game. You know, there's a lot of like other things you have to think about. And then I was like, "This is perfect." So I bought it, brought it back to the shop, and then I was, Andy was there. We were about to go to lunch. Andy's like, "What are you doing with all these donuts, dude?" And I was like, "We're about to go eat." And I was like, "Dude, try this. I think this is it. This is gonna be it." We and you know I put it together and we tried it. And it was like, dude, this is fire. This is this is awesome tasting. This is you know aesthetically beautiful. And what it really ended up happening, the psychology behind it was that it sparked interest in your mind. Because when you saw somebody holding a sandwich that was a donut and ice cream, you know exactly what both of them taste like. But you don't know what they taste like together. And that's like makes you uh, kind of something spark in your head, like call uh, a call to action, pretty much. And that was kind of like the trigger to you. Oh, let's go to afters then. Let's try this thing. I think what's special too is that it, to me, it played off less as like a donut sandwich, yeah. a donut ice cream sandwich, but it played off more like a ice cream filling. And yeah. I'd never seen yeah. that. And that those were the words and the rhetoric that media was using around mm -hmm. that time. That's what like, I was like, when I first saw, when I first saw it, I, 
when it was explained to me, I was like, I don't really get it. Like, yeah. I've seen ice cream sandwiches before. How's yeah. this different than Diddy Reese? Yeah. Cool, you used the donut. But when we were talking about it and saying, like, you guys had this allure, like, you hid the machine that made the donuts. Yeah. The, the, or sorry, not made the donuts, it stuffed the donuts with the ice cream. Yeah, and that heated it up also. So yeah. it was like another whole new element that people didn't even, they weren't ready for, you know what I mean? They didn't even know what the heck was going on. Aside from our donuts didn't have holes in it. And yeah. <laughs> that was a big factor too. We took for like months perfecting a formula that could hold ice cream on top of not like making it stale, on top of being able to heat the outside but keeping the inside cool. It was just like this whole like science world all of a sudden like Bill Nye <laughs> that we went into to finally get the perfect formula, you know what I mean? So you guys have the milky bun. Yeah. When does the media fervor start? How soon after from the announcement or however you treated yeah. the introduction of the Milky Bun? Yeah. And then the follow-up question is that media fervor happened while you guys had a single location, yeah. right? Yeah. So tell me about the operations of having a global news cycle yeah. at a single location in Found So Valley. the first week, I'd say, we, we, uh, we made a dozen donuts and we prayed that we could sell a dozen of them. And then when that first dozen went, it was just wildfire from there. People just started catching on. Instagram was brand new and hot. You know, you guys came through and did your videos and stuff like that too. And the media just started eating everything up alive. And then I think, the, like I said, a big component was social media. Instagram was new. And, and we were, at the time, we were pioneering. We were teaching people that to take pictures of your food was in. It was cool. hot. You know what I mean? And and if you didn't take a picture of this milky bun, you weren't in the cool kids. It was like weird psychology, like a psychological thing. Like people were like, dude, I need to go. Like I need to have one of these photos. You know what I mean? And people did. And it did work like four, four or five years ago. This was what how people were thinking, you know? And people came, they shot the photos and we ran out. And then the line started building because all the media we were doing. And it was just at that point, we were talking about like two, three hours to get a milky bun. This was crazy because... Our staff was just definitely not ready for any of this at all. They were like, dude, this is like slavery work. You know I, mean? I didn't think, you know, obviously it's cool because you're working at a new like lifestyle brand like, and it's ice cream, it's fun, but they were just not ready for the lines and the lines and lines. So we, you know, we bought them lunch, you know, we did everything we could do to make their life better. You know what I mean? We're like, oh, we'll make tank tops so, you know, everybody, so everybody can be cool. You know what I mean? Like it will be, will be a whole different brand. And it was like different, you know, the first store, it was, was always in my memories because I was there. I was working there physically, you know what I mean? And I, ironically, at my at the time, my partners, um, they had a trade show in Vegas for fashion because they come from the fashion industry also. They left while I was there. <laughs> I was there and I just had a, I was like, dude, this is like the worst time. Like it was just so grueling that first week and they were gone for however. And they came back, they were like, whoa, like what happened? <laughs> like it's huge, you know what I mean? And I was just like, dude, we've just been working our, I was working like from like 8 a.m. to like 2 a.m. every single day for like months. It's just like pounding it out, like learning a process, creating a process, streamlining the process. You know what I mean? Like I had to put it, all these systems in place because I'm a very systematic guy. I'm trying to get this thing done as quick as I can and create more profit for everybody. You know what I mean? And that's like those little tidbits are like what change, what makes good business people and great business people. You know what I mean? Like those are little key things that are that will really make a business better. And somebody has to do it, but if nobody does it, it just sits the way it is forever. There's no innovation in the game. Do you think the size of the store had an impact 
on the growth of the brand that first year? Because you guys didn't open a second store f- the first year, right? Like, you, no. it was open for a while before you guys did anything. But whenever I would come to visit after, I'm like, fuck, I wish I never talked about this damn place because yeah. I can't get a fucking milking <laughs> one. And so I'd show up, and then I was like, man, there's, there's this, you guys brought what I felt was this line culture that streetwear kids knew about. Yeah. Like, it's okay to wait outside yeah. two, three, four, five hours for yeah. a pair of sneakers. Yeah. Where I'm like, you don't do that for food. Yeah, it was you, a it was a new thing. You know what I mean? I get, it was a little bit on the Cronet because the Cronet was like almost telling people, "Hey, it's worth it." You know, and they had all those news stories about it. And then we were we were getting affected by it too, like waiting in line. But what people didn't realize was that even though there was a line, number one, like you didn't want to miss out, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be kind of FOMOs, yeah, FOMOs too real, right? Number two is that. This was an op- this was something to do now on the Friday night, Saturday night, whatever night it was. Number three is that it was like a new lifestyle of hanging out. Like this is how you hung out with your friends now. Let's go wait in line. We'll chit chat it up. Obviously, we pay we purposely played music outdoors and indoors so that people would feel like it's it's not just waiting in line. It's like hanging out. This is a lifestyle brand. Everything that we did had to be about lifestyle. You know what I mean? And people resonated with it. You know, it's not, it's not that bad or we'll just kick it together. You know, there's five, a group of five of us will hang out and it actually resonated into something really good and people saw the lines and then they discovered, you know, FOMO from a home through Instagram and it was just like, all these things are happening where it just kind of skyrocketed the brand into another level. So people understood you guys mm-hmm. that first year, things are good. Yep. At uh, what point are you like, let's open another one? Or like, because it started yeah. off, it felt like kind of a hobby, kind of, yeah. uh, so you understood many. the business mechanics. So when do you open the second one? Yeah, there was, man, so many doubters. You know what I mean? Like from the beginning, it's just like, dude, oh, this is only going to last for a week. And then it was, this is only going to last for a month, and then three months, and then six months. And then after, like, I literally would tell you, after like a, over a year, then people would stop it finally not doubting anymore. It was that crazy. Like, it's just because the ice cream, Going into Ice Cream Realm was just too new. Like nobody believed that it could last. You know, I mean, how could you create another Baskin Robbins out of nowhere? You're just some young kid from you know Orange County. And um, after a year, there was prior discussion about growth, and then after a year, we had finally executed to a place in Chino Hills for our second location, and that just skyrocketed too. And then we started actually during Found Valley, I wanted to mix more of my lifestyle into it. So I started incorporating the car industry into it because the car industry was growing in social media too because this is how people were coordinating meetups and things like that. So sometime in going back to school time, I threw a a cars and carbs event and it was a, it was kind of just a big gathering of all the things that I love, you know, food, cars, and you know, the lifestyle. And I threw it in Found Valley. They were not ready, dude. If you don't know, Found Valley is a sleepy city. This thing exploded so huge. The parking lot, like, thousands of cars that came just flooded the streets like backed up the freeways it was ridiculous cops and came cops came shut it down like and then i knew that at that point it was just like this is a different game now we're playing a different game compared to anything else in the past and then we did the same thing for chino hills it became like almost like a formula people expected it at every opening now chino hills same exact thing flooded the grand opening uh cars came from all over and the police came and shut it down same thing you know we started getting known for that and it was interesting because we were like the rebels of ice cream at the point. We were first, we were new, and people never seen this kind of mixture, collaboration of lifestyle and ice cream together. And we still continue it to this day, you know what I mean? So these are like some like core components that really set us apart from everybody. So 
two locations, three. Yeah. One thing, as I saw you guys and I was hanging out with you guys, yeah. one thing I never understood was how you were hiring and how you were growing. Yeah. Like I understood the brand. I understood mm-hmm. mainly because I don't. I'm not a restaurateur. Mm-hmm. I feel like I relate to you guys, and that's I'm not. That's yeah. not me. So how are you hiring? I don't know how many employees you have, but I know that, that like I remember a time where you guys had 300 employees yeah. and how are you hiring for each location? Cause I see your five-ish co-founders mm-hmm. and another, none of you guys were ready, I feel to mm-hmm. like hire at that scale and that yeah. velocity yeah. and at 25 locations, I mean that's, and they're all company owned, like you guys aren't franchising yeah, no out. Franchise. So how? Um, for me, so I have a lot of businesses, so I've learned to develop teams and people in place, and that's how you really execute. But you have to work with these people that are like trustworthy and like they have a lot of uh, components that you're very used to working with. And for for me, like John at that time brought a lot of experience to the table in the restaurant industry because he was doing like the pickup stick franchises. And like when you were talking about you know his aesthetics, his looks, uh, we, we we talk about it like it's funny a little bit, but in reality. And ironically, people take that seriously. I mean, they see me and I'm like ripped jeans and like, you know, some young Asian kid. They're like, no, I'm not taking this guy seriously. You know what I mean? But somebody like him, they took real seriously anywhere in the city. So that helped build our really higher up upper management, you know, through his referrals and things like that. And then the ground level, we started hiring with within first like friends referrals because we needed a lot of lifestyle in these people. Like they, These people needed to be, be who we wanted to target. So we did all the hiring like at the store level personally. And when we got to the upper management, because I knew we needed to build layers of management or else I would be watching people all day long for some reason. Um, we started building layers of it, layers of it. And that's where, you know, John's expertise came in. And that's where, you know, my business building came in. And today now we have, you know, 400 plus employees. Wow. And we have like three tiers of management now before it even gets to me, you know what I mean? Um, it's crazy now. At, at what point did you think, or was the strategy as it related to opening more stores? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 25 stores, but it's also 25 stores within a same region. Yeah. So tell me more about that strategy specifically. And I'm my assumption is it's something related to ice cream distribution mm-hmm. and making sure whatever production can get there efficiently. Mm-hmm. But I also remember there was, you know, a store opening in Tustin. There was a store opening, you know. These are miles within each other. Like not yeah, for Orange crazy. County, it felt like from an outsider perspective, my first question was, are you saturating a market? Mm-hmm. Because you have a product that people have driven across the Southland for. Yeah. But I'm just curious about what the strategy was that relates to the amount of locations yeah. in this I mean, area. So the technical term is like cannibalism, like when you open more locations in like within the area. What we were finding out is that we actually started like very far away, you know, like Found Valley and Chino Hills is like a, at least a solid hour from each other. So those stores were doing well. And then as we opened more and more stores, we saw no decrease really. So we just kept going. You know, that's inevitable. It was, it was to a point where we were figuring out that we just weren't reaching enough people. You know what I mean? Even as in like people still haven't heard of us, even though we have 26 locations now, people still haven't heard of us. But we have a good density where people are like, you know, anywhere anybody visits in town, they'll be like, oh, there's an afters nearby. You know, we can hit visit that one. I think we have it mapped out enough where um, it's very easily accessible to most people. 
And what we wanted to accomplish was that, you know, Afters is a brand that you can get. And we don't want to be that two hour because two hours wait only lasts so long in life. You know what I mean? Like you don't do that all the time because we want it to be a household brand. You know what I mean? As the time goes on, we became people's favorites place to go. And just loyalty wise, you wouldn't want to go to a place that has two hour wait. You know what I mean? So that kept on growing on the concept of, you know, expanding. What's what's changing now this far into the business that's different than when you first started? So I feel like once you open 25 stores, are you looking to sell? Are you looking to, yeah, I'm gonna open a thousand and I'm gonna run with this lifestyle because maybe I see, because the way you're building out your stores now are also very different than the first location and the second location. Mm -hmm. At your office, you're really passionate about showing me schematics for your new places yeah, and yeah. i'm like you're gonna show me another ice cream store yeah and you show me something that looked like an urban outfitters yeah i was like what the fuck is going on so yeah. tell me tell us about that like where where do you want to go like do you want to sell yeah and why are you putting so much time into these places now yeah. that don't it feels like you have the model of like people come to an ice cream store without a lot of frills yeah what's next i think so first addressing like the whole like um when you came to the office to take a look at, I showed you the kind of the new design. I feel that ice cream is no different than anything in life. And when you visit your life and you look at yourself, you're not the same person you were two years ago. You weren't not the same person you were five years. You don't even dress the same. You don't even look, you know, relatively the same. And I don't think there's no difference why your favorite ice cream place has to look like you five years ago, 10 years ago. You know what I mean? The evolution is always going to be there. And for, for, for afters ice cream, we spend a lot of time and money into remodeling and remaking the brand so that it's always current and relevant in a sense of like, Oh damn, this ice cream place is like really trendy. Like it's always trendy. And what ends up happening is with other brands is that they get lost in the past. Cause then they start looking dated and old and we keep on renovating, renovating, renovating to make it look new and new and new. So you feel like you're always in like the clean and crisp, like the new, you know, and big brands, they do this too, but they do it like every 10 years. We're lucky that we're still small enough that we can kind of come in and do all these things and walk away without getting, you know, board member uh, agreements for, you know, approvals for all this stuff. And that's the beauty of, you know, after's ice cream, we're easily adaptable to any situation. Um, that was like apply a, that for the food too. We like do, you know, cream. we always try to keep up to date. Pop culture has been one of the long, the long driving forces. That's why we do collaborations with like Hello Kitty and Rick and Morty coming up. Mm-hmm. It's because we want the audience to know that we are still in the know of like what's happening, what's current. We're not like Baskin Robbins, we're not like Coastal. We're not gonna fall back in the deep of like, you know, brown and red stores or pink, or, you know, we're just trying to play catch up to new flavors that are really hot and trending right now. And that's why when you came in, I showed you that, that uh, well, the Tide Pod, yeah. oh. the Tide Pod flavor, <laughs> dude. Okay, so you should tell because it, it never made it. It, it right? never like, made it. <laughs> but uh, when Eli came and we were testing Tide Pod flavors because Tide Pod was so trending, it was like so memeish at the time. And we just—it's just something that we wanted to try and do, and it looked exactly like it. The taste was kind of funky, but it never made it. But you know, it, it's just something that we did just to. You know, show that hey, we can always keep up with anything that's happening. But ultimately, you were scared, dog. Why did you not put it out? I saw. I was like, dude, if if they put this out, yeah. it's gonna make some waves. It's gonna make noise. But good and bad. Yeah. You know, I I think by the time that we actually finished the production value on it, it was like the wave was over, and that's the mm-hmm. problem. You know, with you know sticking with pop culture, it's like there's waves of things, and and that's how we base a lot of our our continuing concepts. You know what I mean? So, do you think culture? is scalable because 
the way that you've integrated culture into afters is is mind blowing, mm -hmm. right? And I think anyone who's seen uh, the anti diet diet club shirts, mm -hmm. the apparel, mm -hmm. they see the lifestyle by you participating in major festivals, mm -hmm. right? Like. Coachella being a huge example of yeah. where afters have made tons of impact and mm -hmm. where you just see tons of social media posts. Mm -hmm. Does that get harder if you're 50 locations? Does that get harder? Because, I mean, Rick and Morty, and I think there are licensing things that you can do. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm wondering, I'm just wondering, how, like, how you foresee culture being integrated as you guys continue to grow. As it grows, um, it definitely gets harder. Anything, everything gets harder when it grows. You know, people think it gets easier, but I mean, some things get easier. But like you said, like cult integrating culture is harder because you always have to be on top of it. And ironically, and unfortunately, I'm not going to be young forever. You know what I mean? And <laughs> I can't be the creative direction forever. So I try to keep my eyes and ears open. I try to work with a lot of the right people to kind of show, so they can show me, so I can show my team, my staff, like what we need to do to keep relevant. And it, it is getting harder for sure. You know, I'm not the same guy I was five years ago and I'm barely making the millennial cut at the end. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of things that are happening and that's where the newer generations come in and they kind of foresee or you kind of have to be able to find really good talent in a sense. And I, that's one of my specialties. I, I can actually see good talent from afar and then, like, you know, kind of recruit them in and, you know, give them the opportunity to actually shine too. And, um, it's, it's, it's just about, you know, being highly adaptable to any situation. And that's kind of been, always been my life, essentially. For, um, the, for the businesses you described before, afters, mm -hmm. you've mentioned specific exits. Yeah. Is that a goal for afters to be, to have an exit with a, you know, from Dunkin' Donuts looking at you guys and being, man, Baskins is hurting. We don't yeah. even mention it on our quarterly <laughs> sales calls anymore. Yeah. We need to insert some new blood. Is that a goal? Or to me, when I see 25 store-owned locations, mm -hmm. right, saying no to franchising, essentially, mm -hmm. that feels like a long-term play to me, you know? Uh, setting mm -hmm. up a just distribution system, hearing you talk passionately about workflows and defining profits and mm -hmm. all of those, that feels like very similar in and out to the conversations. I mean, I think in and out is the prime example of the private business, but it mm -hmm. seems similar to me to the conversations that I'm having with my partners here at Food Beast right. about how can we create a long-term viable business. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about what your thoughts are as it relates to the afters future. I think for afters future, it's every year is changing. You know what I mean? You don't feel differently every year. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people is not on the team anymore and there's different things going on in my life, you know what I mean, and their lives. So as the brand develops, you start allocating your time and juggling, you know, the multitasking is a typical entrepreneur move. Um, and you figure out, like, for even for me, like, when I look at Afters now, I, it's very viable. It's a huge business, obviously. It's worth a lot. So at some point, there's a pivotal point where you decide, you know, am I going franchise route? Am I going to the wholesale prepack route? Or am I gonna go exit, you know, build an exit, you know what I mean? So those are all things that it's always going through my mind. It's been going through my mind since forever. And then as time evolves, you figure out which one works out the best, you know what I mean? So it, it's hard to say like which path sure. we're essentially going on, but I do know that things are developing. Like, you know, after ice cream pre-packed, the pints are, are coming. 
you know and this has been an idea for like two years already but like i said there's millions of ideas but anybody that actually wants to execute them please come on board you know what i mean because that's a real definition of trying to get things going off the break because if we all sit here and have great ideas nothing's ever gonna happen you know food bees how does it happen you know what i mean somebody had to actually go out there and take the first step you know what i mean and now that we're in a situation where we are we're actually taking the first step to going to the pre-pack world and that might be you know seeing how that goes that might be the avenue we end up going or you know we actually end up going franchising or we end up going you know exit route where you know we put ourselves on the market who knows yeah that's wild yeah. so i mean if you had to give advice to people because people look up to you now you've your, your brand your personal brand's kind of evolving too yeah i feel you mentioned it we're all getting older here we're yeah. all fucking old farts yeah. but uh, when you started, you were young, you were, hey, you're throwing off, showing off all your cars, and mm -hmm. then now you have a family yeah. and things change. Yeah. Congratulations, Thank by you. the way. Thank you. What, what can you give like advice to people out there that see afters, mm -hmm. like, damn, shit looks easy, bro. Yeah. I've seen him. Like, day one, there's people, there's a line there. What, what advice can you give to a young, budding entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. Keep it real with them, though. If you're trying to come up nowadays, man, number one is like, like I, I always repeat, you know, like ideas are a dime a dozen, execution is like number one. So if you're actually going to think about doing something, really got to push yourself to, to actually do it. You know what I mean? And, and stick to it. And stick yeah. to it. You know, that's, it's really tough in the beginning, no, no matter what any business you do. Um, secondly, is kind of like research and like doing things yourself and like, the internet is so powerful nowadays. Like it's ridiculous. You can learn to do anything. Like I would not, I never thought I would learn how to sew, but I learned how to sew from the internet. You know, I never thought I'd learn how to do Photoshop and I learned it from the internet. Like these are the components that I've taken with me and used it in all my other businesses. You know what I mean? These are things that are core components like that you can, you can do just because you have access to the internet. You know what I mean? And you know, there's a lot of things that I can go off on, you know, rants about like, you know, partnerships and building the right teams or how to build your own infrastructure or these are the safety nets for starting a business um, but my psychology my thinking works for me and maybe you can pick and choose what you want from it but everybody is going to be different you know what i mean and specializing in your characteristics and traits like when you for even for me like when i pick partners now i pick them very strategically in a sense of like we're getting into a relationship together you're good at what you're good at. I'm good at what I'm good at. We both bring something to the table. And number one is that we always respect each other's specialties. That's just it. Like you're good at that. If you do it, good for you. That's that's how we move forward. And that's why I was able to grow like, you know, my 10 business portfolio right now that's doing, you know, 50 mil a year or whatever the case is, you know what I mean? And that's why I was able to continue building these other brands while continuing afters. I'm not physically there working on it every single day, or maybe I am, but after this is my main majority because I know that's the next big thing for me that's going to happen. You know, that's wild. That's a lot of businesses and that's a lot of partners. Mm -hmm. I can definitely relate to. There are times in a business where there are obstacles with those partners. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you've had to overcome with the amount of businesses and the amount of partners that you've had mm -hmm. um, that changed that changed who you're looking for maybe now versus when you started. Um, I think a big one is like respect and putting ego aside. That's like two big components, especially with partnerships. You know what I mean? Because it's kind of like what's going on, like you know, like who or what and this and that. Um, even for me, like some of my other businesses, like if I don't see it going, like I'm good at business building. I'm good. I know what I'm good at. If I can't shine with those components. 
then it's not worth it for me. So I just leave the, the company. You know, just buy me out or I'll just leave, whatever the case is. It's, it's all good. I don't care. And then if it's my company and we're working, if, you know, if we can't get on the same page, then just leave then. You know, don't, there's no point for you. Like, if we can't get along, I'd rather just hire somebody that can do your job just as good and not have to worry anymore. You know what I mean? And just like, it's just like little things like showing up or like just things like, you know, concentrating or focusing on, you know, the brand at the, at the moment that we have to get shit done. And that's pretty much the end of the day is that every business has to get shit done. And when you have the right key component players in it, everything works out well. You know what I mean? Do you have a certain um, balance that you're working with right now in terms of thinking about the next big thing and still tending to afters and and maintaining it and making yeah, like, sure it grows? Like I said, I have like a 10, 10 business portfolio right now. Um, and those are all... Like for an entrepreneur, you have to learn how to juggle well, very well, right? And you have to learn how to multitask. I would say eight of my businesses are up and running. They run by themselves. We have, have great partners in place. We respect each other. We know what we're good at. You know, I do a lot of business advising or whatever characteristics I have that can bring to the table that needs for that business. They know that. And they know that they're, what they're good at, you know, and then we just mash it up together and we're completely respectable to each other. And we, our businesses thrive. You know, we do millions of dollars a year. And then there's other businesses where I see huge potential. Like this is my next big thing, essentially, or this is a big thing that's on my roster that is going to make me multi-millions of dollars, which is something like afters. And I focus on that because I tell people, you know, I have 10 things going on, but afters is my main focus because it is my main focus, dude. Like this is something that I've spent five years on. I know it's going to give me, it could be my extra early retirement, you know what I mean? And that's why I'm focusing on it. And I have all these other things I can play with, but I don't. And sometimes you have to sit down and realize these kind of things where, you know, what's most important out of this roster here and then kind of divvy in from there. Well, I like what you're saying about the most important thing on the roster because you and some of your partners, mm -hmm. people have noticed your guys' success. Mm -hmm. They see afters, they see lines, and you guys almost, you offer this service up through some agencies that you've created mm -hmm. where you either consult or mm -hmm. you come on as partners. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious, can lightning strike twice? Like you guys have a great, there's no, it's undeniable. Afters yeah. is a really dope brand. Yeah. There's a point where you have 10, po 10 companies in your portfolio, but you're spending a majority of your time at Afters. Yeah, there's so a reason. do you feel, because I come, like people pitch me shit all the time mm -hmm. and I'm just like, I know how fucking hard it is to like wrangle lightning into a bottle yes. on something this cool. How do you feel though when you give like business advice or mm -hmm. how do you give business advice or partner advice to these restaurants? Mm -hmm. uh, let's focus on restaurants yeah, yeah. for the interim. And, but like there's so much that they might be missing just in the branding or in the yeah. magic there. You can get the best branding person in the world, yeah. but if the core of it doesn't make sense to begin with, it's not going to take off. Yeah. I mean, for if I were to consult with you like the first whatever hour, I usually end up going over like there's got to be like at least four components or whatever, four or five components that off the bat your brand has to have. And it's, you know, it's things like for restaurant industries like branding. Is there a lifestyle behind it? Does it cater to the audience? Is it IG friendly? You know, like there's core components that you have to hit just to survive going out into the waters. And then when you hit those, then you can work on the rest of the real business, you know what I mean? And then there's, you know, back the boring stuff like business planning, banking, all that good financial stuff. And then, but on the outside, obviously people see Afters as like a social media brand now um, that we've done really well utilizing it. So they want to know more about that. So that's why I throw in those like four or five components that they just have to focus on. Because if I look at it, I'm like, no, that's not cool. Like, 
you know that most most likely like a lot of people are gonna be like no that's not cool and that's already you're you're already coming out of the water like oh shoot i'm gonna sink right now yeah you know what I mean? as um as afters mm-hmm. you guys were part like pioneers in terms of instagram food game how do you mm-hmm. feel about these new food instagrams that are only focusing on just the aesthetics of it because after it's, it's good good quality ice cream yeah. also yeah so like i was talking about so there's like five, four or five components one of them if you were a restaurant it has to be bar none your food has to be good period <laughs> yeah. like you know there's no point of selling you know dirt that's beautiful to the people you know what i mean because it tastes like dirt still so one of the key components of afters was that the, the ice cream is delicious no matter what and that will always be the driving force for return customers the longevity the exposure is like the IG friendly part, you know what I mean? So it's a multi, you know, complicated equation that you have to round up all the players in a sense. And when you have all those players, then you have the best chance, the fi- best fighting chance of getting out there and making it. The, what, uh, the, the first mm-hmm. five times that I felt that I hung out with you, Scott, mm-hmm. you were driving <laughs> the craziest car I've ever seen. Yeah. You were laced up with the best clothes I've probably ever seen. Yeah. And so there was this like picture of <laughs> pop that color. Of Scott and success. Yeah. Right? From someone who's been in the game, mm-hmm. who's now a family man where maybe some priorities have changed a little mm-hmm. bit. You've seen businesses progress. How important are the aesthetics of success to mm-hmm. actual success? Mm-hmm. Um for me, essentially, prioritizing things like obviously my family's number one, business number two now, so everything goes for my family. So that's why I was like asking, is this a podcast or a video? Because I was gonna come in pajamas, <laughs> you know, the baby's up in the morning, you know what I mean? So aside from that, you know, I, I think aesthetics in this day and age it's very different than back then. So back then, I think why I'm always like polished and have that certain look to me is because. I had to fight for my chance back then when I was when I was coming up. You know what I mean? When I was telling you, like during the no internet age and during the you know dial up age, nobody took a twenty year old Asian kid seriously. Now they've seen so much entrepreneurship from the younger millennial generation that they're like, okay, we'll take you seriously for anything and everything now. And it's still like you know quasi this and that, but um, a lot of the stuff that I have and I do, it's all for me. Like, I feel like this is my past. I'm wearing my past, you know what I mean? The cars is all about my past. The clothes is from my past, you know what I mean? Like, everything that I'm doing is from my past. Even my haircut's from my past, you know what I mean? I cut it myself because in junior high, somebody fucked up my hair so bad, I just ruined it. I taught myself how to cut my own hair. And then it's just like, everything that is me is from my past and it just shows on that. And if it's a success, great. If it's where I am currently in life, that's great. But I want to say that you don't need to be a flashy image or anything like or you don't have to have nice cars or anything like that to to show that you're very successful nowadays you know what i mean it's different it's completely different even you can have a million followers and you're considered a success now you know what i mean sure. so it's a different world now do you think though that house of cards is crumbling for a lot of of flashy early insta entrepreneurs because like I, I i agree with you like yeah. i why it's okay for you to put cars mm-hmm. on your page mm-hmm. in my opinion is that there's a car dude like you love yeah. cars yeah. you love cars so like the first paycheck you get you go spend it on cars yeah. first one i get i buy video games yeah. like i fucking get a house you know what i mean like yeah. those are what's interesting to you yeah. but like people are gonna crumble like mm-hmm. i think the new age entrepreneur is about showing kids 
and showing adults that like there's struggle but social media propped it up that all you do is show the wins like yeah. generally even if you show a struggle it's counterbalanced by like by the Win. way I'm also <laughs> like, it's like the struggle from three months ago but now it's joke but like yeah. we good now we good now so it's like it's it's this weird dichotomy that I'm I'm curious in the next couple months and years it's yeah. just like how social media changes for winners yeah, and it's people different. working the winners will slowly evolve out of that realm and the guys that are just fronting or showing it is gonna it's the true colors end up showing it just took time you know what i mean it takes time to really to reveal a lot of things like on social media you can blast a bunch of stuff you know what i mean like oh i got a new car i'm you know store openings here and there and and you know I'll check out all my new clothes and stuff like that but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because at the end of the day are you sitting there and be like dude like i don't have no money or like i'm still figuring out how to make ends meet or like the really important things in life like for me like oh is my family secure you know what i mean like for me that that's what it really ticks in my mind like i don't care about all my cars and stuff like that or i don't care about all the clothes i have like if my my daughter or my my wife doesn't have you know nice things i care about that more than anything you know what i mean and it's just priorities change and you start juggling but that always goes back to like what you were saying like how do you know which one to focus on well, you focus on the one that gives you the best chance of success repeatedly over and over. So I've been lucky enough to continue focus, focusing on the winners and walking away from the losers where I'm walking away at a high spot for them. I'm not by any means just leaving, you know what I mean? I'm leaving at a good point so I can focus on the, the winner in my eyes, you know what I mean? And, and the next one up is after ice cream. I actually have a business from six years ago that I'm going through an exit right now where a big, really big company is purchasing the rest of the rest of my company and that's going to be my biggest deal to to date before afters and for me like that was six years of myself working alone and i just hired you know a guy in a garage to help me ship and this is, has to do with like this is a whole nother story about like walgreens and all this good stuff um but you know iphone accessories and now this is a multi-million dollar business i built from nothing from a kid sitting on a computer buying, you know, Apple prod, uh, Apple-esque products. <laughs> and, that was the um, biggest air quote I've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> hey, you and, saw me that fucked up yeah. <laughs> six charger? Damn you, Scott. The uh, light has a one-year guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> He's a wrong seller, dude. And you know what? That's going to be my biggest exit in the next few months. We're, you know, we're going through the paperwork and due diligence of right now. But for me, I knew I had to focus on that. I built a system and I could walk away from it. And that gave me monthly income, but it also gave me a huge exit at the end. And now I know that after is going to be the, one of the next ones. That's why I focus so much time on it. And there's another like nine businesses that don't suffer. They're up and building. And then when I need to come in, I come in. But I also have great partners running those things. You know what I mean? So it's always a, a big balancing game now. And I knew that after is going to be one of the big ones next. Jeez, Scott, you make me want to sell ice cubes to some pandas. <laughs> <laughs> iPhone cables to pandas. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great story, Scott. Yeah, that's it. How do you guys feel? Thanks for coming on the pod, Scott. No, yeah, any, any time, dude. I'm I thought there was going to be ketchup here or some hot dogs. <laughs> and eat, like, some, some snacks. The, audi the audio of eating <laughs> it's not that tight. Not that tight. Uh, Crunching into a milky bun is uh, not <laughs> super tight on an audio podcast, but yeah. tight for Insta photo. Yeah. I was excited yeah. you can come through with some fire ice cream. Yeah, I melted on the way. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually on the table right now. It's yeah, done. it's still here. Uh, what's what's uh, what can people look forward to? You got vegan ice cream coming. Uh, we have vegan ice cream already. Mm. I think pre-packed is one of the big things that is coming up. Then you can kind of grab and go after ice cream anytime you want. Hopefully, we can get into a, a couple of big 
rest, uh, supermarket chains and things like that where you can kind of have more access to everybody. Because we've been noticing that Afters is becoming a brand that you tell, it's kind of like Disneyland. You come to California, what do you do? Oh, Disneyland, Afters ice cream and da 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 You know, like these are the top recommendation things. So I just want more people to be, be able to to experience afters, even in California or outside of California. Maybe a, a couple outside of California afters, I don't know. There's a Ooh. lot of things going down. Hey, Scott, you know, vegan's the new wave, man. I know. Is that don't, on your radar? Don't, yeah, it's on there. Don't be surprised if you see some new shit from me coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, continued success, man. And uh, thank you for coming by. Thank you to everyone at home listening. Yeah, and uh, appreciate you guys. Keep ta- DM us, DM me and Jeff. Everyone here, uh, photos of you guys, screenshots of you listening. That's super tight. Thank you to the three people who did that last week. Really yeah. love it. <laughs> that's tight. Either way, three real them. ones. Yeah, keep it real. Anyways, guys, that's been another episode of the Catch Up. See you next week. Bye. Thanks. Yeah.